Hey guys, it's Christy. At NDP, we want to make sure that you have the best resources in whatever transition-related, financial-related challenge you might be facing. And we know student loans are one of those big challenges. In episode six, we talked about student loans. And after that episode, Charles and I really wanted to make sure that you had one more insight. We talked with Travis Hornsby, who founded Student Loan Planner, and he has great insight on student loans. He founded Student Loan Planner after he helped his wife figure out her six-figure med school debt and realized all their friends needed help too. Since then, he's consulted on more than $300 million of student debt, including about $100 million for dentists. He loves helping you guys realize that financial freedom and practice ownership is possible no matter how high your loan balance. He's out of St. Louis, Missouri, and I learned a ton, so I'm going to share with you some clips from our call, and I hope that you find it as valuable as we did. Hey, Travis, so happy to be talking with you. So I know I kind of filled you in a little bit and that we did a podcast on student loans and that I thought you would be a great resource for our audience. Um, And specifically, I think that you can provide them some great insight um, on a whole slew of issues. But today I kind of want to focus on three things. I want to focus on repayment, refinancing, And of course, just your thoughts on practice ownership, since that's what we're all about. How does that sound? That sounds wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. So let's, uh, let's get going with repayment. So I obviously did some research and there are a ton of repayment options out there. So in your opinion, um, what are the three major repayment programs that you think dentists need to know about? Well, it's the IBR program, pay as you earn and revised pay as you earn. Those, those are the three big ones. And most dentists need to be on either pay as you earn or revised pay as you earn. Those are the two plans that you can pay with 10% of your income. Uh, so, so 20 to 25 years is, is the typical payment length that you would be using one of those two plans if you were planning on using a loan forgiveness strategy. And then IBR, income-based repayment, is 15% of your discretionary income. And that is usually not a good plan because if you can pay 10% when you you know, instead of paying 15%, that you'd rather pay less, right? Uh, and yeah. also the repay program, Revised Pay As You Earn, has interest subsidies that keep your interest from growing as fast as it would normally grow without those subsidies, whereas the IBR program does not have those subsidies. So if you're kind of looking at the three plans, usually I would say 90% of the time I'm thinking about pay as you earn or revised pay as you earn as the best option for a new dentist that's graduating. And so just that flexibility is kind of what you're looking for. Yes, if you can have a payment plan that's always tied to your taxable income, that's tremendously helpful because when you come out, you might be making $120,000 and they give you a deduction when they're calculating that 10% number because it's discretionary income. So discretionary income is your income minus 150% of the federal poverty line. So it usually works out to where 10% of your income means payments around seven to $800 a month um, a couple years into practice, which is really modest, yeah. especially if you have you know $400,000 of private dental school debt. Absolutely. So how do you and your team at Student Loan Planner, how do you guys help people choose their repayment plans? Um, and then kind of part B to that question, what do you see as the most common mistake that someone might make when they're selecting their repayment plan if they don't have someone like you on their team? Well, like a lot of people trust an accountant to make sure they're not making any big mistakes with complex tax rules. That's our focus on the student loan rules. So we help people with flat fee consulting, um, usually ranges from 300 to $600 one-time fee to study their student loan situation, uh, figure out a custom plan for them and, and give them the steps to implement that. So we've done 
plans for like 1,200 people. So, so we do this multiple times a day, and it's all mm-hmm. we do. So we're really pretty pretty sharp with this specific area. Um, the main problem that I see people uh, messing up, you know, they don't get on the revised page room plan if their intent is to refinance. And a lot of times they'll try to put the refinancing goal way above all other goals, which makes no sense. So when you graduate dental school, if you consolidate immediately after graduating, and that first year out, the revised pay-as-you-earn program can be structured in such a way where you can cover 50% of all of your interest on all of your loans for that first year. Wow. Because you can lock in a $0 monthly payment, and then the revised pay-as-you-earn program in that case would subsidize half of your interest for that first year. Now, you know, if you're going to refinance at a big lender, you know, you're not going to get a 50% interest subsidy on your on your interest in that first year. So a lot of people, they're just raring to go. They, they see all of these commercials and they just want to refinance the second they get out of dental school. And yeah. you know, that's usually not the right uh, decision because of some of the things we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's a, it's a stressor and it's the first thing they want to tackle, but it kind of like everything else, a little forethought might be helpful there. Okay, so what about those that don't start in practice? So, you know, obviously we were practice ownership, you know, as soon as you get out of dental school or, you know, after a few years. What about those that don't start in a practice right out of dental school? What if they go back into residency, um, et cetera? Or, you know, what kind of mistakes or what kind of opportunities do you see there for those that go straight back into to school? Yeah, the dental school officials are going to just have you do an in-school deferment waiver on your student loans and pay nothing, which is, is really not the right call. And what you want to be doing instead is figuring out a way to cancel your in-school your, your in school deferment. If you can cancel the in-school deferment, then you can sign up for the revised pay-as-you-run or pay-as-you-run program and get, you know, interest subsidies for those two or three years that you're in the residency program where you're getting a lot slower growth of your balance. And you're also getting credit on those loans towards loan forgiveness. But I see this mistake made all the time, and it's actually a, a kind of a low to mid-five-figure mistake. Uh, and it's just something that I wish more people were aware of. You can cancel your in-school deferment and residency, and more people should do it. Oh, wow. So you're still not making payments. You're just not making payments in a smarter way. Exactly. Yeah, you yeah. might be required to pay, you know, $200 a month or something for an orthodontist who goes back to, you know, an NYU residency program um, on the dental school portion of the debt. Even though they're taking out new debt, they can actually begin repayment on the old stuff if they request the cancellation waiver. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times people are, are not as aware of that. Um, as they as they should be. Yeah, that's good stuff. Okay, you mentioned consolidation, which is something we did not talk about on our episode. So, when and how should someone consolidate their student loans? Ideally, immediately after graduation, if you consolidate, you wipe away all the previous history of your old loan. And consolidate means taking a bunch of federal loans and creating a new federal loan. It's called a direct federal consolidation loan. Consolidate can mean a lot of different things just in everyday conversation, but that's what I, you know, what I think it means. Absolutely. Uh, student debt. Okay. Yeah. And so when that new federal consolidation loan happens, what that does is your normal grace period after graduation is going to be six months. But if you consolidate, you can get that down to two months. And the reason why that's important is remember I said you can get zero dollar payments if you consolidate the right way right after school. Those zero dollar payments, if you're going for forgiveness, saves you you know those payments at the tail end of your career if you're going for a twenty to twenty five year loan forgiveness strategy, which means that you know instead of paying. Uh, $3,000 a month in 20 years when you're finally cash flowing like crazy and making a lot of money, you can replace those four $3,000 payments with four $0 payments, saving yourself twelve grand in 20 years. And that's something that requires very little effort, and that's just one example. 
So consolidation is very helpful, too, to choose where you want to send your loans. If you are with a bad servicer, uh, you can choose a, a better servicer like Great Lakes Student Loan Servicing, for example, or move your loans to wherever your spouse happens to have their loans to make your life simpler. So consolidation is pretty helpful, but it, don't confuse it with the strategy. Awesome. Okay, so I think that covers most of the questions or kind of holes I knew we had in a repayment. What about refinancing? So let's talk about that for a second. We talked about kind of the mistakes and things to make in repayment. What about from a refinancing standpoint? You know, what's the common mistake? You know, we see all of these services and uh, big names that are out there on refinancing your student loan debt. What's the most common mistake that you're seeing people make when they're refinancing um, their dental school debt? Dentists today are getting letters in the mail like crazy every every week, you know, from a various lender telling them to refinance their student loans, right? And, and then you also you also might see, you know, commercials for the NFL draft or something like yeah. that, uh, or some sporting event, you know, with, with the place suggesting that you refinance. And the, the reality is that you need to shop a lot more places than that. Most people don't. They just go to the preferred provider, you know, of their professional society or something something along those lines. But just one example, I had one person in particular who cut his rate by 1.8% simply by shopping around. Wow. Kind of refinanced with kind of one of the big name places and didn't really comparison shop at all and uh, got a much, much better rate with, you know, a similar payment uh, because he paid off some of the principal. And, and if he had shopped around more, maybe even just three or four places in the, in the front end, he, he wouldn't have made that mistake. It's uh, like in anything in life. Oh, yeah. A big purchasing decision, you want a comparison shop. Absolutely. And we talk about that a lot with lending, with attorneys, with CPAs, whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, it makes sense that it would be the same with student loans. I think we, we, we think more in the box with student loans, at least I do. So sounds like, do you have a, do you have a certain number that you say, hey, you know, with, with lending, we always say, hey, get one or two offers, at least one or two offers, if not three or four, and compare them. Do you have a certain number that you like to kind of advise people, hey, get this number, compare them? Can you use those, you know, to get more competitive rates, or is each lender's offer kind of their offer? Yeah, you know, I mean, so you, you should check at least three places, and, you know, you, all you have to do is just, it takes about two minutes to get a rate estimate. Now, sometimes those rate estimates aren't fully accurate because they have, you have to submit tax returns, and sometimes people have messy situations and don't have a lot of income history and P&L for their practice or something. But, but in general, you want to just do at least three applications, just at least have them in front of you. It doesn't take all that long to, to get actual offers at all three places, finalized offers. And sometimes I even go back and forth, especially for the larger debt amounts, like 400000 and up, and I can get them to go kind of below their, their, their initial offer sometimes when I'm helping readers and clients out. Um, you know, I've got cashback bonuses on the website. So that's another thing is, you know, if you're going to refinance dental school debt, which is usually pretty big, you know, might as well get um, $200,000 for refinancing it in addition to the benefits of shopping around to get the lower interest rate. A lot of yeah. times, if you just respond to that direct mailer, you're going to get nothing for visiting the site directly. And the lender at the end of the day doesn't care where the business comes from. If they're going to spend, you know, a couple million dollars in an advertising campaign or they're going to spend it on just giving cash back bonuses to online websites, um, they care about just getting the business. So you might as well get the best deal possible um, and just see if they'll match or even beat each other, especially for the bigger debts. Okay, that makes sense. So refinancing, when do you suggest someone to refinance? Because that's always the big question that we get is, should I refinance now? Do I wait till after I practice? You know, what's what's your thought on that? So I, I think that for people with bigger dental school debts, like over $200,000, it's, it's usually better to try to get something structured with revised pay as you earn to keep your interest rate lower. 
so that you can go ahead and get the big shovel, which is practice ownership. And once you're secure in your practice and you feel like you got a good handle on everything, you're not worried about any kind of unexpected events happening. You know that your patient population is stable. You know you transition from that from that old doctor to the, to to you as the new doctor. That's a good time, kind of when you're maybe a year in or something like mm-hmm. that, a year or two in, you feel comfortable with your cash flow. You, you feel comfortable maxing out your retirement accounts. You've got that set up. You don't have any credit card debt. Um, you, you've got reasonable expenses for things like your, your mortgage and for your uh, car loan. Um, if you have those, preferably you wouldn't. But if you're in that situation where you're real stable in your practice and you have a, a, you know, a stable ownership situation, that then is a great time to refinance because you're subsidy goes away the, the more income you make. So once you finally start making more as a practice owner, you know, you're really going to see the benefit of getting out of the debt quicker with getting that refinance interest rate of maybe 4 5%, something along those lines, instead of the federal rates, which are usually 6 to 8%. And, and when I suggest people go for a refinancing, you know, you can go for a longer-term refinancing, and that's, that's okay. You can go for a 15-year for example, a 15-year, I always suggest fixed rates in this interest rate environment. So you could go for a 15-year and get maybe a 5%, something around a 5%, uh, and then you can pay down a lot of the debt and then refinance it again to pick up another cashback bonus, refinance it again to a 10-year for a similar monthly payment after you've paid down some principal. And oh, okay. uh, I usually suggest people do kind of a, a, a refi ladder, if you will, where they start off with a 15-year to make sure the monthly payment is such that it won't stress them Doable, out if they right. ever have a period where their, their revenues are a little down. Uh, and then once you pay down a lot of debt, refinance it again and work your way down all the way to a five-year as long as the monthly payment isn't, isn't um, too much of a, a worry. And then the last point is just make sure that you do not pay off your practice debt faster uh, or your mortgage debt faster than your student loan debt because your mortgage and your practice working with your CPA, you might be able to deduct that interest yeah. in a lot of cases. Absolutely. It's really helpful. But student loans, you're not going to be able to deduct anything with a dental level of income. So almost better to tackle that and kind of pay that off as, as fast as you can. There's no prepayment penalties on student loan or any of these kind of refinance or repayment plans, correct? Correct, yeah. But no prepayment penalties. You can refinance as many times as you want as long as you get a lower rate. It's, it's one of the most friendly forms of getting rid of the debt uh, that's out there compared to some other types. So okay. it's, it's a great thing to just refinance and get rid of the debt quickly. And I think I know your answer to this, but fixed versus variable rates? Yeah, so the reason I, I say that I always recommend fixed in this interest rate environment is because back a couple years ago, the Fed had short-term interest rates really low, and variable student loans or refinancings are usually based on short-term interest rates, and the Fed has really raised those rates a ton. And so the differences between the variable and the fixed offers are really not all that great. There is still a little bit of a difference, but it's not a big difference. And so if you're going to take that variable interest rate risk, why would you take that for, you know, 0.2% or something like that, right? So you want to lock that in, get a nice fixed rate, and then refinance it again to a lower fixed rate over time versus going with the variable uh, interest rate loan. Um, You you know, if you do the variable interest rate loan, uh, just realize that you're taking on a a big risk that, you know, probably is is not going to pay off, I think. Yeah, locking in, locking in now, and, and knowing what, what's ahead of you is is always kind of a good game plan in our eyes as well. So okay, so obviously we believe, and I know we've talked about this, we believe in practice ownership. I know you kind of have a similar methodology, but why is practice ownership so important, kind of as as it relates to student loan debt, um, and kind of how do you see those two things being connected? The one thing that I tell someone is, if you took the effort to go to four years of dental school, and then maybe you did a GPR, or maybe you even did a specialty uh, program residency. 
you know, why would you let someone else make the profits off of your labor? So dentistry and, and dental special, specialists, uh, you know, orthodontists, uh, periodontists, endodontists, things like that. I mean, this is one of the last great professions that you still have the potential to become a solo practitioner, maybe even have multiple practices and become fairly wealthy and provide this huge value to your community uh, while living the life, your life the way you want to and become be your own boss. And so the, the lifestyle attraction is there, but the actual return on investment, if you're looking at your degree program, is absolutely not there if you stay an associate. So if you want to make 150000 for your career working for one of the big corporate groups, you know, you can do that, but then why the heck did you go take out 400000 of, of dental school debt or 200000 even 300000 to, to do that when you could have just gone to corporate America somewhere and worked for somebody, you know, and, and made a probably a similar amount of income after a few years without any of the debt and the stress that comes with being a dentist. Yep. So, uh, so I, I think that being an owner is very important. Also, remember that your payments are based on income. So the government is basically subsidizing your entrepreneurial risk-taking, right? If you're yeah. on one of these pay-as-you-earn, revised pay-as-you-earn type plans, at least until you become stable in a practice ownership situation, if things don't work out, well, guess what? Your payment can be as low as $0 a month. So the government is, is basically saying, you got all this debt, go, go start a practice, go buy a practice. Uh, we want you to do this. You shouldn't not do it because you've got the big debt for your student debt. And then also, practice owners, golly, I talked to so many practice owners and they are so much better at shielding their income than associates are. If yeah. you're an associate, you've got your W-2, that's your income, maybe you can put away a little bit of money in a, in a 401k to, to get a little bit of a deduction on your taxes, but you've got very few options because the W-2 just gets reported to the government and they just say, okay, this is your income, pay us the taxes based on this. Whereas the, the practice owners, they've got depreciation in their building. Maybe they might take some aggressive legal steps of maybe routing um, uh, different things. You know, the CPA knows, right. like different kinds of leases that they can put through the practice and uh, just all kinds of stuff. So your, your taxable income is lower, so your student loan payment is lower, so then your student loan forgiveness benefit can actually be higher, making more money, making you know becoming wealthier as a practice Absolutely. owner and being an associate. So, you know, at the end of your career, you want to have a net worth of, you know, a few million dollars as a practice owner versus having no debt and $200,000 to your name. Yep. Preaching to the choir. We agree with everything you just said. So, well, thank you. I I feel like I learned a lot today um, and I know that our team here will as well. So thank you so much. I know you've helped thousands of students help manage their student loan debt. So where can people find out more about the Student Loan Planner? Sure. In visiting our website, studentloanplanner.com, if you know that you want to refinance, you can just click on the refinancing page and just see what kind of rates you could get. If you actually want help, if you're like, I owe, you know, more than $100,000, maybe maybe way more than $100,000 dental school debt, and I just want somebody that's done a 1,000 of these to, to study it and make sure that I'm doing everything the right way, but I would invite people to send me a personal email, travis at studentloanplanner.com. I don't take all of the consults anymore. I've got a team of, of CFP and CFA uh, uh, folks that work with me, but you know, we will help you. We'll get you the best plan that you could find anywhere. And most of your, a lot of your dental school classmates have probably already used us. So we would, we'd love to make a plan for you to make sure that your family is safe and protected uh, relative to this, this debt that can, you know, a lot of times be, be more than a mortgage. Absolutely. Okay. Well, wonderful. Well, I'm going to put that on our blog post as well. We have a I'm going to post something with kind of some other uh, resources and I'll make sure yours are there front and center as well. Thanks guys. Thank you again for joining us. Um, And until next time, appreciate your time, Travis. Thanks for having me on, Christy.